Welcome to this edition of This Is Design Intelligence, conversations with leadership voices in the built environment. This edition is sponsored by the Tricord Group, leading successful relationship constructs for over 25 years, and VIM, helping the architecture and design disciplines design, deliver, and operate better buildings for a better world. And now, your co-hosts, Dave Gilmore and Lynn Barrett. Andrew Kitchener is a research scientist with a background in economics and neuropsychology, and he is the founder and lead researcher of New Wave Solutions. New Wave Solutions is focused on transforming the employee survey industry with a more modern and holistic alternative to employee engagement. Operating out of San Francisco, New Wave Solutions has surveyed tens of thousands of employees who work across more than 40 different industries in countries spanning four continents. Andrew, welcome to This Is Design Intelligence. Thank you for inviting me on. I'm happy to be here. So uh, we're going to get started around um, something that I said in my introduction, economics and neuropsychology. You've studied both. How do they feed your curiosity? Yeah. So I look at the fields as complements to one another in that economics seeks to understand the effects of human behavior, while psychology looks to understand the causes of human behavior. And so it's through applying both of these disciplines and perspectives that I'm better able to design my research to improve our understanding of both the causal side of the labor market trends, as well as the effect side, and especially on a macroeconomic scale. It's a great intersection between those two, and and I think you've done some wonderful things thinking about how you can extract new insight from that from that intersection. You know, at Design Intelligence, we uh, we do a lot of research. Research is at the core of everything that that makes up Design Intelligence. And in a recent study that we did, we uh, uh, we asked many firms what was their their number one, their biggest challenge. Uh, that they were dealing with out there. And 100% of the respondents said uh, that talent was their biggest challenge. And when they meant by talent, they meant uh, attracting it and, and, and developing talent and retaining talent and it, everything across the, the life cycle of talent now, the work you and New Wave Solutions perform is it somewhat rises above that cycle of talent and it poses a very direct question, how committed are employees? Talk to us about that. Exactly. And we refer to that talent as the need to gain, train, and retain talent. And the related design intelligence research that you mentioned aligns exactly with the data that we're seeing come in as well which is across the economy, especially in the United States, most organizations are rating talent as both their most important asset as well as their biggest challenge. And it's that paradoxical problem which initially prompted my research and more recently the business. And like you mentioned, we're directly focused on commitment, more specifically employees' commitment to their organization, that is their organizational commitment. And it's this idea of bolstering organizational commitment which is is the key to improving and rising above that cyclical battle that so many organizations are facing. And the 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 reason why it's the key is because it's it's found to be a better predictor of desired outcomes like retention, uh, especially compared to uh, alternative metrics that are currently out there, whether it be job satisfaction or employee engagement. 
which when when you think about uh, what makes an employee stay in in the face of an alternative job offer, uh, especially if that alternative job offer is for a higher salary or potentially a promotion, the reason why that employee ends up staying at that organization, uh, it's not because they're just satisfied with their job. And it's not just because they're engaged with their job. It's it's because they're committed to the goals and the projects of the organization. Let's go back just a bit around um, for what's been going on in the in the past many years that companies have have used an employee engagement survey uh, to get a pulse on something. What is that something, and is this the right thing to measure? Yeah, that's a that's a really important question. So employee surveys are generally built to do three things. They're built to measure track and hopefully improve a psychological construct such as job satisfaction or like you mentioned employee engagement which is today's default metric and while that might have been the best construct when the employee engagement survey industry began it's been more than 24 years since then and i nor the data really support it as the most effective metric especially when compared to more predictive constructs like organizational commitment And a a good quote on this topic is from a Forbes article by Josh Burson. And he said, quote, the days of the annual engagement survey are slowly coming to an end to be replaced by a much more holistic, integrated and real time approach to measuring and driving high levels of employee commitment. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting, almost a nuance in semantics, because I think people get uh, confused uh, in their use of language between the word engagement and commitment. You know, and as I listen to you uh, and as you're navigating this conversation, it, it's clear to me that engagement is something that a person does while commitment is, a, is something that a person is. And it's a very different, maybe subtle, but, but I am committed and I do engage. Right. And so, yeah, and it seems that engagement, a level of engagement, though, can be a counterfeit to true commitment. And I think that's where we're missing it, is that we see somebody who's very active and they put on a face and we go, whew, check that box. They're engaged. And then very next week they turn in their resignation. Uh, Something was missing is what I hear. And so you used the term earlier, organizational commitment, as opposed to a person's commitment. And I guess, how do you scale this idea of, uh, let us pretend that you did an assessment on me is one thing, but if you did an assessment on design intelligence with all of our people, that may be something different, or am I missing it? Talk to me about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what enables us to scale this across an organization like Design Intelligence is our survey design. So our 40-question survey doesn't just measure organizational commitment. It also takes a pulse on how employees feel on a number of variables. And those variables are variables which have been found to be drivers of organizational commitment. For instance, access to tools and resources. And so by measuring both commitment and getting a pulse on those variables, we're able to gather the data required in order to run predictive regression analyses in order to determine which variables, if improved, will most effectively drive up organizational commitment with, within an organization. Um, and we can, we can do this across any organization 
and we're able to uncover the solutions that are specific to any desired group, whether it be per office or per each department or whatever that desired grouping might be. And with the survey design, it allows us to go in, not just benchmark those commitment levels, but also confidently diagnose what the most worthwhile changes are going to be for that organization. And in so doing, it allows us to kind of solve the the commonly experienced problem uh, that many companies have, which is once they spend the time and the money on their employee survey, they feel that it only uncovers problems, not their solutions. And then they're forced to kind of speculate. And so we kind of get around that by running those regression analyses so that companies won't have to speculate on what the most most effective uh, solutions would be to implement in their organization. Now, are you observing any demographic generational differences of consequence in the work you are performing? While there are some noticeable generational trends in the data, my best advice for organizations that ask me about this is for them to be cautious about this topic because there are a lot of traps out there. Take millennial turnover, for instance, highly debated topic. Here's a statistic from Gallup. 36% of millennials report that they will look for a new job in the next 12 months. That is 15% higher than non-millennials, end quote. It's, a, it's very easy to look at that statistic and see it as a generational issue. But upon closer examination of the data, what first appears to be caused by generational membership is actually explained mainly by age. That is, it's, it's not really a millennial issue. It's not that they have such a notably high turnover rate. It's that younger employees do, which, which makes sense. And so it's, it's best for organizations to approach this topic quite cautiously, as there tends to be more variation within a group than between groups. Mm. Well, how do, how do personality profiles and traits possibly play into this? I'm sure you're, you're well-versed in you know, things like uh, Myers-Briggs and uh, the DISC program and different things like that, that that somewhat try to categorize people by personality type and communication style. How, how does that play, or does it? play into this dynamic of commitment? Yeah. So actually in graduate school, I managed the university's personality and well-being lab. And so we looked into this question. And what we found is that while there's some evidence to support the capacity of personality to predict organizational commitment, namely personality traits like extroversion and openness to experience, the results aren't strong enough to where I would encourage any organization to make any assumption or decision based on personality type. So similar to the question on generational groupings, I tend to advise organizations to recognize that just because a trend is visible within a certain group doesn't mean it's beneficial to apply it to all within that group. Mm. Yeah, that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Um, You've surveyed thousands of people in 40 different industries, actually. Um, Are there similarities or major differences amongst the industries? Yeah, it's a good question. And uh, what, what the data is actually telling us is that there are more similarities based on departments than industry. So take, for instance, an employee who does sales for a medical equipment supplier. That salesperson is likely going to have more in common with someone outside his or her industry if that someone also does sales, say insurance sales, for instance, as, as compared to someone in an entirely different department, like accounting or manufacturing, 
even if that manufacturer worker is also in the medical equipment industry. And while that's not an absolute truth, we do see that within most companies and across most industries. That's really interesting. You know, um, the more I listen to you, and and it's interesting uh, language uh, because your use of language is very distinct as you talk about the cautions uh, and the delineation between this or that, uh, you know, uh, there are tripwires of, of bias uh, that can be applied certainly to any of this research or the surveys or the assessments that are done. And I'm sure that's something that you're regularly, regularly trying to counsel and move people away from, which is confirmation bias. Well, I think this, therefore, everything seems to confirm this, right? Um, and, and, and certainly the poor millennials have gotten... Uh, slammed with uh, everybody believes a millennial is this and therefore all the research points to the millennials are just like that right kind of thing and so we end up with one inch deep um, conclusions uh, against all of this so you know in much of the work that design intelligence does if not the vast majority are with professional services organizations where the greatest asset of the firm are the people there's not widgets and there's not manufacturing lines per, per se in the majority of our, of our audience. Uh, the vast majority are professional services. And it would seem that if the greatest asset of those organizations, um, if we would put them on a balance sheet, the greatest assets are the human resources that are there. It seems interesting that they're, that either at the senior executive leadership team or on the board of directors, uh, very few that I'm even aware of have a uh, any of the disciplines of psychology helping in the governance of those firms because you're speaking to us from the heart of a neuroscientist and a and a researcher and your conclusions are you know fantastic they can rudder an organization one way versus another why why don't we see more of this. Uh, this discipline being played uh, into the boardrooms, and if if we don't see more of it, wh- what do we do to change that? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. So I th- I think that change is going to be predicated upon a situational or perspective change in which board members can be and be seen as advocates for both the employee and the employer, not just one or the other. And I I think that's beginning to change. And as we've seen the cost of turnover rise, it's it's beginning to change it in in that it's become advantageous for both the employee and the employer to become better connected. You know, we see annual turnover costs in the United States exceeding $600 billion. And and so to answer your question, the the change, I think, is going to require a change of situations. But that required situational change is, is already underway. That's fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Andrew, I'm just going to throw you a question you might not have ever had before. <laughs> Our podcast is directed to to people um, that are in the built environment industry. So I always like to ask our guests, uh, what's the first building that made a big impact on you? Yeah, you're uh, you're right. It's it's not a common question that uh, that I get, but uh, but it's good. I, I remember when I was a young kid, my grandparents took me to Yosemite for the first time which still to this day, one of my favorite places. And I saw the park's main lodge, the the Awani Hotel. Um, and it was built by Gilbert Stanley, uh, the, the same architect who built the main lodges at other national parks like Grand Canyon, Zion, 
And so I'd have to say that that hotel, you know, right in between Half Dome and Yosemite Falls, it probably takes the cake for me. I can relate. That's lovely. Thanks. Yeah. So, we, you know, we have lots of people that listen to us and that follow design intelligence and you're being exposed to this big audience. Uh, but what are your words of advice to leaders uh, across the built environment, particularly regarding the domain that you're living in, which has to do at the heart, it has to do with people. Um, what, what, what would be your parting words of encouragement and advice to this audience? So when, when thinking about instances in which we've been able to unlock the most human potential, it's been achieved by fostering individuals' mutual commitment to something bigger than themselves. And that's been true for individuals. It's been true for businesses. It's true for nations. And as this virus has unfortunately reminded us all, it's true for humanity as well. And so in the face of adversity, I think it's important to keep that in mind, especially as just a guiding light. That's fantastic. Great response. Yeah. It's been great to be with you. I'm looking forward to many more times together with you as we explore um, this, this entire domain of organizational commitment, which I think you're on the bloody edge of something wonderful. So thank you for being with us. And listeners, it's great to be with you. Remember, we want to hear from you and learn from you and get to know you. Reach out at thisisdesignintelligence.com. Until next time. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of This Is Design Intelligence. Sponsored by the Tricord Group and Vim. The producer for This Is Design Intelligence is Laura Spells. Sound engineering by Jared Knabel. This has been a DI Media Group production.